0: A FOCUS SUMMARY OF CHAPTERS 9-11 through 11 OF PRIDE AND PREJUDICE Elizabeth passes the night in Jane's room, and by the morning she is able to respond favorably to inquiries after her health sent by Bingley and his sisters. Still, she sends a note to Mrs. Bennet asking her to come and see Jane for herself. Mrs. Bennet eagerly complies, and shortly after breakfast she and her two youngest daughters have already arrived. Discovering that Jane is not in danger, Mrs. Bennet has no desire that she recover quickly, since that would mean she was removed from Netherfield. Fortunately, both the apothecary and Bingley are in agreement with her that Jane ought to stay. Miss Bingley, too, echoes the sentiment, but with a tone of cold civility. Mrs. Bennet then makes an embarrassingly transparent effort to encourage Bingley's affections for Jane— by flattering his unequaled estate and boasting of her unrivaled beauty. When Mrs. Bennet all but begs Bingley not to leave Netherfield, Elizabeth tries to take the reins of the conversation herself. At one point, it turns to the types of people one encounters in the country, and when Darcy comments on the confined and unvarying society one finds there, Mrs. Bennet responds with outraged indignation. Bingley says he can be equally happy in the country or in town, and Mrs. Bennet declares him to have a good disposition, unlike Darcy. Blushing at her mother's impropriety, Lizzie comes to Darcy's defense, while Bingley tries to stifle a smile, and his sister directs a knowing look at Darcy. Lizzie's next effort to ease the tension with a change of topic fares even worse. When she asks her mother whether the Lucases had called at Longbourn, Mrs. Bennet praises the gentility and gregariousness of Mr. Lucas, in a passive-aggressive attack on the standoffish Darcy. Then she tries to undermine the Lucas girls as prospects for Mr. Bingley, by criticizing how they have been brought up, and saying what a pity it is that they are so plain. Though Lizzie's valiant efforts to stop her mother from exposing herself are all in vain, she does at one point manage to make Darcy smile. Finally, Mrs. Bennet thanks Bingley for his kindness to Jane, and calls for the carriage. Upon this signal, Lydia puts herself forward, having plotted with her sister to remind Mr. Bennet of his promise to host a ball. To their mother's delight, he assures them of his intention to keep his engagement, and he says that when their sister is recovered, they can name the day. Mrs. Bennet and her daughters then depart. Elizabeth returns to Jane and Bingley's sisters are left to gossip about them in private. But Mr. Darcy cannot be prevailed upon to join in their censure of Elizabeth, in spite of all their witticisms on fine eyes. The next evening, after spending the day with Jane, Elizabeth again joins the party in the drawing-room. Mr. Bingley and Mrs. Hurst are playing piquet, and Mr. Darcy is writing a letter while Miss Bingley sits close by, watching his progress and paying him compliments. Elizabeth amuses herself by attending to the curious dialogue between Darcy and Miss Bingley, finding that each of their parts confirms her opinion of their character. Miss Bingley fawns over him with commendations on his writing, and he receives her praises with perfect unconcern. When Caroline calls Bingley's writing careless— he confesses that his ideas flow so rapidly he has no time to express them, and that he therefore often conveys no ideas at all. Elizabeth tells him warmly that his humility about the matter disarms reproof. The conversation between Elizabeth and Darcy that follows defies condensation, because all the interest and substance of it are in the details. They engage in a strenuous debate, first, over whether Bingley is guilty of false modesty, and later, under what conditions it is wise to comply with the wishes of a friend. Darcy is blunt, but earnest and intelligent. Elizabeth is bold, questioning his convictions with cleverness and unreserve. Bingley asks them to defer their dispute, and Elizabeth, happy to oblige, lets Darcy go back to his letter. Darcy then asks Miss Bingley and Elizabeth to play some music, and Miss Bingley jumps up eagerly to indulge his request. While she is thus employed, Elizabeth cannot help but notice how often Darcy's eyes are fixed on her. She cannot believe he admires her, so she decides that she has drawn his attention by being more reprehensible to him than anyone else in the room. The thought does not pain her, because she likes him too little to care what he thinks. When Miss Bingley plays a Scotch air, Darcy draws near to Elizabeth and asks her to dance. Elizabeth, once recovered from her shocked silence, abruptly declines, accusing him of setting her up so that he might have the pleasure of despising her taste. She is amazed again when he reacts to this affront with gallantry. But the sweetness and archness of her manner make it difficult for Elizabeth to affront anyone, and in any case, Darcy was bewitched by her. He had come to believe that were it not for the inferiority of her connections, he would be in danger. Miss Bingley sees enough to make her jealous, and she begins to desire more than ever the recovery of her dear friend Jane. She also tries to provoke Darcy into disliking Elizabeth with sarcastic comments about his future in-laws and even Elizabeth herself. The next day, when she is making one of her sardonic speeches on a walk through the garden with Darcy, they come upon Elizabeth and Mrs. Hurst. After a cursory greeting made awkward by Miss Bingley's fear that she was overheard, Mrs. Hurst seizes the disengaged arm of Darcy and leaves Elizabeth to walk by herself. Perceiving their rudeness, Darcy suggests that they walk in the avenue, where the path is wide enough for their party but Elizabeth laughingly sends them on their way, and runs gaily off, rejoicing at the hope that Jane would soon recover and she could return home. After dinner that day, Elizabeth attends Jane into the drawing-room, where she is received by her two friends with professions of pleasure, and they spend an agreeable hour before the gentlemen appear. But when the gentlemen enter, all Miss Bingley's attention turns to Mr. Darcy. Darcy addresses Jane with a polite congratulation, and Mr. Hurst makes her a slight bow. Bingley greets her with joy, dotes on her constantly, and speaks to scarcely anyone else. Mr. Hurst is disappointed when Miss Bingley rejects his petition for the card table, on the grounds that Darcy did not wish for cards. Having nothing else to do, he stretches himself on one of the sofas and goes to sleep. Darcy takes up a book. Miss Bingley does the same, and Mrs. Hurst joins now and then in her brother's conversation with Miss Bennet. After an exhausting attempt to be amused with her book, and to persuade Darcy of her fondness for reading, Miss Bingley tosses it aside. Having heard her brother mention a ball, she speaks disparagingly of the idea, clearly for the benefit of Darcy. When she finds that she has failed to earn his attention, she tries another tack— asking Elizabeth to join her in a turn around the room. This time, she succeeds. Mr. Darcy looks up, and she invites him to join their party. He declines their offer, saying they can have only two motives for their choosing to walk, with either of which his joining them would interfere. Elizabeth is sure he means to tease them, and suggests they do not ask him to explain. But Miss Bingley demands that he tell them the two motives. He says that either they are in each other's confidence, in which case he would be in the way, or they are conscious that their figures appear to greater advantage while walking, which he can admire better from where he is. Miss Bingley asks playfully how they ought to punish him, and Elizabeth says they should find cause to laugh at him. But Miss Bingley insists there is nothing about Darcy that is worthy of derision. Elizabeth calls that a disappointment— saying she dearly loves to laugh. The exchange that follows is another that must be read in its entirety, because of all that is revealed in the subtlety of its dynamics. Darcy remarks that even the wisest of men can be made ridiculous by a person whose first object in life is a joke. Elizabeth says that though there are such people, she is not one. Follies and inconsistencies do divert her, but she supposes he does not possess even those. He says it has been the study of his life to avoid such weaknesses, and she sardonically adds, such as vanity and pride. His answer, open to accusations of self-contradiction, is that where there is a real superiority of mind, pride will always be under good regulation. Lizzie declares that he is without fault, since he says so himself he denies the charge, saying he has faults enough. His temper, his inability to forgive the follies of others or their offenses against him, and the fact that his good opinion once lost is lost forever. Elizabeth agrees that these are indeed failings, but ones about which she cannot laugh. Darcy says that every disposition has a tendency to some particular evil. Elizabeth says that his is to hate everybody, and he responds that hers is to willfully misunderstand them. Miss Bingley, tired of being left out of the conversation, calls for music. Darcy is grateful for the distraction, since he feels more in danger of forming feelings for Elizabeth than ever.